If you want to take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're going to spend most of our evening uh, in the Scriptures tonight. Uh, about halfway through the week now, I guess we're a little over halfway, and it's just been a, been a wonderful week. Whenever you have a uh, spring meeting, you never know if it's going to be chilly or rainy, but it's been perfect weather so far, uh, besides I suppose Sunday was a little rainy, wasn't it? But it's, uh, it was nice to be outside. We got to spend some time with Sullivan's today, really enjoyed our time there. Uh, with them. Uh, Jerry told me last night, he said, uh, have you ever had possum before? And I said, I haven't had possum in forever. And that's true. And uh, But we we didn't have possum today. We had something so much better. It was really good and we enjoyed it. Uh, and the food was wonderful, but the company was even better. And we enjoyed spending time with them this afternoon. It's good to spend time with, with one another throughout the week and uh, learn more about each other, get more uh, into each other's lives. We are there to encourage one another, and that's uh, been a cert- certainly an encouraging week for uh, my family so far, and I'm sure it will continue to be throughout the rest of the week. You know, the story is told of about a 95-year-old woman who was at a nursing home who received a visit from one of her fellow church members, and the visitor asked her, how are you feeling? And she said, well, I'm just worried sick. And her friend said, well, what are you worried about? You look like you're in good health. Are they taking care of you good? And she said, yeah, they're taking care of me just fine here. She said, well, what are you worried about? And the elderly lady leaned back in her rocking chair, and she said, every close friend that I've ever had has already died and gone to heaven. I'm worried that they're all wondering where I went. And you know, probably most of you haven't started worrying about that just quite yet. But my guess is that there is something in your life that does worry you. Maybe some of you are worried about school, uh, wondering, uh, you know, how difficult your test is going to be and how much you have to study, worrying about whether or not you're going to pass your class. Or maybe you're worried about financial matters. Is the stock market going to crash again? What if I reach a retirement age and uh, I don't have enough money saved up? Or, Or maybe the concern is, can I afford to fill up my gas tank this month? Can I make my house payment? Maybe you worry about your job. Uh, What if I get laid off? What if I don't get the promotion that I've been uh, counting on? What if I get transferred somewhere else? Some of you may be worrying about health issues. Maybe you worry about computer viruses, or maybe you're worried about being audited by the IRS, or maybe you're uh, worried about the embarrassment of having the credit card declined in public. It may be a big thing. It may be a small thing in somebody else's eyes, but to you, it is a big thing. Maybe you're worried about how your kids are going to turn out. I think it's safe to say that worry is one of those problems that we all battle with from time to time, whether we like to admit it or not. But of course, we're not the first people to experience anxiety. Anxiety has obviously been around for a very long time, probably since the beginning of time. And in Jesus' day, people were worried just as much as we are today in the 21st century. And people standing on the mountainside where Jesus delivered his Sermon on the Mount were no different than you and I. They had to deal with the problem of paying their bills and feeding their families and pleasing their employers, raising their children, paying their taxes and saving for the future, just like you and I do. So what did Jesus say to help them battle with the worries that they face in, in this life? On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals honestly with how to deal with worrying. And he gives us several reasons why his followers ought not to be worried and perhaps more importantly, how it is that we can win this battle, be victorious 
over anxiety and worrying in our lives. I want us to begin by asking the question, what is worry? I think we all know what that is. We all do it from time to time, unfortunately. But what does it mean? What do we mean by that? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 25 as we take this verse by verse this evening. But in verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried. And the Greek word that he used here comes from two root words, meaning divided and mind. So in other words, a person who worries suffers from a divided mind, or maybe we might say a distracted mind. And when you understand that, then what Jesus says in the previous verse, verse 25, actually makes a whole lot more sense when you compare what he said in verse 24. In verse 24, you remember he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now notice this. What Jesus is saying here is we cannot have divided loyalties. You cannot have two masters. You can't put God first in your life and at the same time put your focus on wealth. Let it be your master. And, and, and it's not that he says you just shouldn't do this. What he says is you can't do this. Twice in verse 24 he says no one can serve two masters. And at the end of the verse you cannot serve God and wealth. You can't do it. It's just impossible. And yet what's interesting is many times we and others in, the, in our society try to do the very thing that Jesus says is impossible to do. They say you can't do it. Jesus says you can't do it. We try to do that. We try to say we serve God, but at the same time we're serving all these things in the world, things, material things, wealth, riches, and so many other things that become our idol and they compete with our service to God. But yet Jesus says it's impossible to do that. Your interests are divided. Your mind is divided. You're trying to serve two masters. That's what verse 24 says. And so 25 follows right after that and it begins with these words, For this reason I say to you, since it's impossible to have your mind divided, to have your interests divided, to have two masters, since that is the case, I say to you, do not be worried. Don't have your mind divided. Don't have your mind distracted in this life. And so then, what is worry? Worry is when you have a divided mind, when you're trying to serve two masters. Worry is when you try to put your faith in God, but you're still not quite sure if it's all going to work out. You say you trust God and you want to follow Him, but still you're not quite sure if that's the way it's going to be. You know, in Luke 10, Jesus used this word to describe some of His good friends. In Luke 10, He was invited into the house of two of His good friends, Martha and Mary. And you remember the situation there that Martha was cleaning her house and getting all the preparations ready. And, and Mary, her sister, was sitting at the Lord's feet learning. I mean, what a wonderful opportunity. You have the Son of God in your own house and you have the ability to sit at his feet and learn from him. She was doing that. And Martha gets upset about this. And she says, Lord, make my sister help me with this. You remember the Lord's response in Luke chapter 10? In verse 41, the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one is really necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now notice here that Jesus said that Martha in verse 41 was worried and bothered about so many things. Now, he uses that actually the same Greek word that he uses in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 25 there. That's the same word we're looking at here. And Jesus says, Martha, you're trying to focus on too many things at once. You're too distracted. Your mind is divided. 
And his solution to Martha's battle against worry was to focus on one thing. You're focused on so many things, you need to focus rather on one thing. And so we're going to come back to this a little bit later in this lesson, but I want you to see that what Jesus tells us here is that to worry is to have your mind divided, to be distracted. So I want to take some time now to look at some of the reasons why Jesus says that we shouldn't worry. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 here if you're, if you're still there. And I want us to list six reasons that actually Jesus lists here of why we ought not to worry in this life. And the first one is, is because God has already done so much for us. We read the first part of verse 25, but let's read the whole thing again. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and, and the body more than clothing? What he's doing here is he's making a logical argument from the greater to the lesser. And what J Jesus is saying here is that if God has given us the greater gift of life, then it only makes sense that He will also give us the lesser gift of food to sustain that life. Doesn't that make sense? If God has given us the greater gift of our bodies, doesn't it make sense that He will give us the lesser gift of our clothes to take care of our bodies? It'd be like seeing somebody driving around Columbus in a, in a Rolls Royce, and you see that and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, those cars sure don't get very good gas mileage. I wonder if he can afford to put gas in that car. You wouldn't think that because we would assume that if a man could afford the expense of having a, a, a buying a car like that, then he can afford whatever amount of gas it takes to keep that thing going. And Jesus wants us to use that same kind of reasoning here. Because God has done so much for us already, He has given us our life, then surely He will give us little things like food and covering to sustain those lives. If God gave us life to begin with, doesn't it stand to reason that He will also provide us food and drink to sustain it? If God gave us our bodies, will it not be a small thing for Him to provide garments to clothe us? And you know what? Paul makes similar reasoning as well in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? If God sent His Son to die for us. What a tremendous thing. If He gave us that great of a gift, would He not just give us small things like our food and clothing? So don't worry about even the necessities of life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. And if you shouldn't worry about the necessities of life, then you really shouldn't worry about anything, do you? I, I doubt many of us worry about whether we're going to eat tomorrow or whether we're going to have enough clothes to wear tomorrow. But if we shouldn't worry about those things, really the only two things that we need in this life, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if we have food and clothing, let us be content with those things. Well, if that's, those things are going to be provided for us, then we ought not to worry about anything. Second of all, the argument that Jesus makes here in verse 26 is that God takes care of even the plants and the animals. Let's read verse 26. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor do they reap or gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? You know, you look at the birds of the air and they seem to us to be pretty insignificant in the whole grand scheme of things. And yet you look at them and they are an example to us of God's ability to provide. And through His providential workings in nature, God provides for the needs. You don't ever see birds out there 
sowing and reaping and working hard in the field and, 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 and sweating over all these things. And we shouldn't conclude on the basis of this verse that we don't have to do any work. Don't get the idea that we can just sit back and, and God's going to just take care of us and provide for everything that we need just like He does for the birds and we don't have to do anything. The truth is that, that the birds do work, don't they? Uh, they wake up early in the morning. They look for food. They build nests on which to raise their young. Sometimes they travel thousands of miles in search of better food and, and climate. And we may have to do all of those things, not, not build nests, obviously, but we're going to have to be providing for ourselves and we're going to have to be taking care of ourselves and working. But here's the key to all this, and that is that birds don't worry. You ever seen a bird worry? You ever seen them get all upset and say, oh, my comp company's coming over and my, my nest is a mess? You see them walking back and forth in front of their nest and worried that they may not find a worm that day, chewing on their nails? No. <laughs> The thought is really ridiculous. They don't worry. And God provides for the birds, just as He does for other animals as well. And what Jesus is doing in this verse is the opposite of what He did in the previous verse. And that is, is that He is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. And the point is this, if God feeds the birds, which are worth so much less than those of us who are created in the image and likeness of God, then surely He's going to provide for us as well. It just makes sense. And that's the argument that he's making here in verse 26, but it's also the argument that he makes similarly about clothes in verses 28 through 30. So let's skip down to there for a moment. He says, And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, that they do not toll, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. Yeah, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more care for you? You of little faith. Jesus says, look at the flowers. These are lesser than humans. They're essentially grass that is dressed up. I mean, they have a green stem and they, they grow in the field and they, they have this clothing of flowers upon them. And yet today they are growing and tomorrow they are cut down and thrown away, thrown into the fire to be burned. They have a short existence, yet in the grand scheme of things, they matter so very little. And yet our Heavenly Father clothes them. And Jesus says even greater than Solomon in all of his glory. If you can imagine the wealth and the riches of Solomon, how he must have clothed themselves in, in royal dress. He looks at this flower and the flower doesn't compare to Solomon's. The flower's clothing is so much greater. And if God takes care of the flowers by clothing them, then surely I don't need to worry about whether or not God is going to take care of me. Look at the clothes that you're wearing this evening. And realize that you don't need to worry if He's going to take care of you or not. That your Heavenly Father gave them to you because He is concerned about you. They may not be the nicest clothes in the world, but they are clothes that meet your needs. They are a gift from your Father. He has given them to you today, and if you're a Christian, He's going to do the same thing tomorrow. And we don't have to worry about that. So the point of all this is we don't have to worry because we have a Heavenly Father who will provide for us just as He does the rest of his creation. The third argument that he makes here in, in Matthew chapter 6 is really you shouldn't worry because it doesn't do any good. In verse 7, notice 27, let's go back to that now. He says, And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Now, if you're looking from the King James Version there, it, it, it'll say it more literally as it comes from the Greek. Who can add a single cubit to his life? Which, you think about a cubit was 18 inches. That is a measurement of length. 
And so there is some question about what he's talking about here. Is he talking about can you add a measurement or a height to your stature? Or is he talking about it as the Jews sometimes did, using measurements of length to talk about the length of their life? We would say years. Uh, and figuratively speaking, we see an example of that in, in Psalm 39 and verse 5. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, They're small measurements, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Poetically, he's saying my life is short. But you see where they use measurements of length to describe the shortness of their life. But however you want to apply it, the point is, is that worry can't do either. Worrying can't make you taller, and it certainly can't add life span to your life, which is probably what the meaning is meant to say. In fact, worry will do just the opposite. Stress and worry will shorten your life. The point is, is there are some things in life that you can't do anything about. And so worrying really accomplishes nothing. Worry, by its very definition, takes place when we assume responsibility for things that are outside of our control. Now, as a point of clarification here this evening, there's a difference between being concerned about something and being worried about it. Being concerned is when you have the ability to do something about your problem and you do it. But worry is when you can't do anything about the problem, but you fret and you have anxiety about it anyway. You know, there are some things that we're concerned about, but they are within our control to do something about it. Uh, for example, if you're to go away on a trip, you might be concerned about the safety of your home when you leave that home. So you lock the doors of your house, maybe you activate the security system if you have one, and maybe you ask a neighbor to, to keep his eye on the place. There are some precautions that you can take and you take them. That's not being worried, that's not being anxious about it necessarily, that's just being concerned and being careful. But if you spent your entire vacation obsessing about the house the whole time that you're gone, thinking it might be broken, down, broken into or burned down and you might lose all your possessions, that's worry. That's something you have no control over and worrying about it won't help anything. Or to use another example, if I'm concerned about my financial situation when I retire, there's something I can do about that. I can put some money away in an IRA to be used and ready when I retire. But that's not worrying, that's just planning ahead. But worry is involved when there's nothing I can do. I can't do anything about a stock market crash. And so if I have trouble going to sleep at night because I'm afraid that the stock market is just going to bottom out tomorrow and my retirement fund is going to be worthless in 10 years, well, that's worry. You see the difference? There are things that we can do something about, but there are some things we just can't do anything about. And Jesus says that it's foolish to worry because worrying doesn't change a thing. If my house is going to burn down while I'm on vacation, you know what? It's going to burn down whether I worry about it or not. And if the stock market is going to crash, it's going to crash whether I worry about it or not, whether I lose sleep over it or I sleep through the night. And you can plug in whatever it is that you worry about. Think about that. Things that you get all riled up and anxious about, worrying's not going to help it at all. It's going to happen whether you worry about it or not. The only difference is, is that I can cause myself a whole lot more stress by worrying about it. All worry is useless. And that's really what Jesus is getting at here. It is powerless to accomplish anything. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it really gets you nowhere. It doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't feed your mouth, and it doesn't make you live any longer. If we're afraid of what might happen or we're worried about something that's already happened, neither of which, by the way, we can control or change, we lose a peace of mind. The truth is, is that most of the things that we worry about will never happen. 
Thomas Carlyle was a 19th century Scottish philosopher and a writer. And it was said that he built for himself a mostly soundproof bedroom in which he could do all of his writing in silence. But one of Carlyle's neighbors owned a rooster that would crow several times within the night as well as the early morning. And when Carlyle went to his neighbor to complain about the rooster, the neighbor said, but it only crowed three times last night. It couldn't have been that much of a bother. Carlyle responded by saying, but if you only knew what I suffered waiting for that rooster to crow. And when I tell you, there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? I think we are the same way. We suffer a lot worrying about something that may never even happen. And in fact, if we were to keep a record of all of our fears throughout our lifetime, chances are pretty good that over 90% or more of those things that we dreaded never came to pass. That worry simply doesn't do any good. Now, we're only on the fourth reason that Jesus gives here about why we ought not to worry, but I think this is probably the most important one of these. And that is, Jesus says that when you worry, it shows a lack of faith. Read with me in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Notice what he says here. You of little faith. Now notice that phrase that Jesus uses here to describe people who worry. They have a little faith. And I think it's important for us to understand that worry and faith are opposites. They are the inverse of one another. If you have faith, then you don't worry. And if you worry, then you don't have sufficient faith. You may even try to convince yourself, you know, I believe that God can handle this. But then something inside you whispers and says, but what if he doesn't? What if I need to take the bull by the horns? What if it doesn't work out? Then those doubts come back in in the middle of the night and they fill up your imagination with all sorts of extreme possibilities, leaving you disturbed, if not panicked here. The bottom line question here is, do you truly believe that God will take care of you. In Philippians chapter 4, one of my favorite verses, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Now, what does that leave for us to worry about? Nothing. Worry about nothing. But then he goes on to say, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And notice the result of that. In the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul put that into practice. Later on in the chapter, he says, you know, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am, whether I had plenty or whether I had little. And then he tells the Philippians this in verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't worry. You ought not to worry either. Worry about nothing, but pray about everything. But do we truly believe that? that if we put our burdens and cast our anxieties upon Him, that He will truly take care of us and give us the peace that passes all comprehension. Because if we do, we're not going to worry. We can't worry. If we worry, then we truly don't completely believe it. The fifth reason he says why we ought not to worry is because that's the way that the world acts. Anxiety is characteristic of our Prozac generation, is it not? Look here in verse 31. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Jesus tells us that worry is characteristic of the heathens, of the pagans, not Christians. It's absolutely normal for somebody who's not a Christian to sit around uh, wringing his hands, worried about what might happen or what might not happen. You would expect that from someone who's not a Christian because they don't have faith 
that God is going to take care of them. So Jesus says, don't be like the heathens. You're not a heathen. You're a child of God. And you have someone that you can trust to take care of you. So don't act like them. Don't act like someone's not going to take care of you. Worldly people don't take the time to worship God and to commune with Him and to seek after His will. It shows in the fact that we're no different from the world in the way that we act. We're just another faithless person. I want to tell you, when we worry about things, how are we any different than our next door neighbor who's not a Christian who worries about things? There's a lot of people in the world that battle with worry and anxiety. They worry about how they're going to pay the bills. They're worried about how they're uh, going to keep their job. They're worried about their, their families and whether they're going to fall apart. But I want to tell you, we are no different when we do the same thing. The final reason why Jesus says that we ought not to worry is because God already knows what you need. Look with me as we finish verse 32. Start all over at the beginning of the verse. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Notice that. You see, God never looks away from us and then comes back to us and says, Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I, I forgot that you need food and water. I'll get that for you. My bad. That's not it. God is omniscient. He knows that we need all these things. And the things that he's been talking about, but when he says these things, by the way, is the context of our necessities of life, our food and our clothing. But I want you to also understand that God is just not some all-knowing ruler who just gives us what we need like a zookeeper who passes out food to all the animals. He's like, okay, here's your portion, here's your portion. Instead, notice what Jesus says here in verse 32. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's a Father who cares for us and is more than happy to supply all of our needs. You know, as a father, I'd like to think that my children have never worried about whether or not they'd have a bed to sleep in from week to week. They uh, end up sleeping on the floor a lot anyway, but they don't have to sleep on the floor. They're sleeping on the floor this week, but that's, uh, that's okay. But they don't have to worry about, am I going to have a roof over my head? And I'd be shocked to find out that if they've ever worried about whether or not they're going to have enough food for them on the next day, if they're going to eat tonight at supper. I don't think they've ever worried about whether or not they would have clothes to wear. Why don't they worry about these things? Well, the reason is, is because they have two parents who love them and try to provide for them all their needs. And if my kids got up one morning and said, Dad, I just couldn't sleep last night because, well, I was afraid there wouldn't be anything to eat today. You know, that would really bother me. That would concern me. In fact, it might even be a little bit insulted. Suddenly, you think, I'm not going to take care of you anymore? What's that all about? I've always taken care of you. I'm a father to you. And I sometimes wonder if God, our Heavenly Father, feels the same way when we worry about stuff, when we worry about circumstances. I wonder if He's a little insulted and says, suddenly you don't think I'm going to take care of these things anymore? In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 Isaiah says, The steadfast of mind, you, God, will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Notice that there, that if you are steadfast in mind in your faith and your trust in the Lord, he's going to keep you in perfect peace. And the reason it all goes back to faith and trust. He's like a sleeping child in the arms of a caring father. We must not live supposing that no one's going to take care of our, ourselves, take care of us, unless we do it ourselves. We have a Father in heaven who will provide all of our needs, not necessarily all of our wants, 
but certainly everything that we need in all of our circumstances. He knows our needs and he's happy to provide us with the necessity of life. So don't worry. Be at peace. Well, maybe your response to all this this evening is to say, well, Jonathan, I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what Jesus is saying here. I just have a problem worrying too much and and there's just nothing I can do about that. I just worry and I fret over things and, and circumstances. And what can I possibly do? Well, there is something that you can do about it. In fact, Jesus tells us that there are two things that we can do in order to win this battle against worry. And let's, let me go ahead and share those with you this evening. The first thing is this, is that you just need to put first things first in your life. You need to keep your priorities straight and God will take care of you. In verse 33, Jesus goes on to say, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things that He's been talking about, these things, food and clothing, will be added to you. You remember earlier in the lesson we said that worry means to have a divided mind, to have divided interest. And the way to get rid of worry is to do what Jesus said to Martha. Remember? Remember, he said to Martha, 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 you're worried and you're bothered about so many things, but only one thing is really necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which will not be taken away from her. You're worried about too many things. Your mind is distracted on so many things. You're putting first so many other things. What you need to do is focus on one thing. And remember, Mary had chosen the good part. What had Mary chosen? What was she doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from her. In other words, the things that mattered most to Mary at that particular moment was learning from her Lord. She was putting first God and His kingdom and His righteousness. Do you really want to live a worry-free life? I mean, are you serious about wanting to get rid of all those mental distractions, all those emotional drains? If so, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 is the key. Every morning as you get up and face the day, tell the Lord, Today, Lord, my desire is to seek your will, to seek first your righteousness. Whatever happens, whatever I may encounter, may I be aware of your presence, depend upon your strength. May your kingdom be my highest priority, the most significant thought in my mind. This day is yours and you are my king and I will serve you as your servant. If we have that attitude, if we say those things, not just say them, but mean it, then I guarantee that the more you care about giving God first place in your life, the less you will care about those things that emotionally and spiritually are strangling you and stealing your peace. You will not worry about those other things that really just don't matter as much. Brethren, we have got to realize that there are more important things in life than things, than physical things, material things, the things of this life things that you can see and things that you can touch. Jesus here speaks of people who are anxious over food and clothing and, and the length of their life. Those are just things of this life, temporal things. And he reminds us that is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is, is more than things. It is, it's about more than just the material. It's more than just the physical. It has an eternal dis, uh, dimension that is beyond us, that is more important. Do not let the physical things of this life and this universe control your thoughts. And I'm not even talking about sinful things. I'm also talking about even those wholesome physical things of life, things like food and clothing and good things that aren't necessarily bad, but they ought not to take first priority in our lives. If we will seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
God will give us all those things we need. And that's the cure for worry. Really, that's it. That is to seek first the spiritual things. And I know that sounds like a pretty simplistic battle plan as you go forward. Just put God first. But it's straight from the commander-in-chief himself. I will always be worried when my focus is on me. When my focus is on my needs and my wants. But when I trust, and I mean genuinely trust in the Lord, the anxiety level falls rapidly. And all these things will be added to me. I'll be taken care of. But the second and the final thing that the Lord says that we need to have in order to win the war against worry is is this in verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, live one day at a time. So many of us are worried about what's going to happen. We can't see the future and we wonder what's going to happen here. What if this happens or what if that happens? God understands we have a habit of worrying about tomorrow and next year and 20 years from now. So Christ tells us what we need to do is concentrate on the problems of today. Don't worry about them. Just give those things your attention and not the things that are out of your control. Tomorrow's problems. You know, I'm reminded reminded when the Israelites were given manna for the first time in Exodus chapter 16. They were told by God to go out and to collect enough food just for that day. They were to collect, you remember, enough for each day, uh, uh, five out of the seven days of the week. But on the sixth day, they were to do the double amount for the Sabbath that was to come. And they were told by God to go out and collect that just for that day. But no doubt, some of them were tempted to worry about tomorrow. Well, what about tomorrow? What if this manna doesn't come back in the morning? What are we going to do about tomorrow? We could starve to death. Yeah, we have enough today, but will we be able to eat tomorrow? And so in Exodus chapter 16, Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it until morning. Whatever you gather, just eat it for today. Don't have any for tomorrow. Don't save up for tomorrow. But verse 20 says they didn't listen to Moses, and some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms, and it became foul. And Moses was angry with them. I think what God was trying to do is he wanted them to understand that you don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to take care of you today. I'll be here for you tomorrow just as surely as I am here for you today. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Well, don't worry about tomorrow. And you know, I think he carries that same principle over here to Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. But a little bit earlier in that chapter, he taught us what we sometimes call the model prayer, how to pray. Pray then in this way. And one of the things he says there in verse 11 is, give us this day our daily bread. And I think what he's doing is playing upon the manna in the wilderness. And he's saying, you know what, I may not have enough for tomorrow and I'll worry about tomorrow tomorrow, but let me just focus on today. And tomorrow you will provide for me. And if you really believe that, then you don't need to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Can you pray that way? God, just give me the food I need. Give me the necessities I need for today because I know that tomorrow you'll take care of me. That's what Jesus encourages us to do here. You know, we bought a house a couple of years ago that was really run down and it was just a terrible situation. I mean, all kinds of stuff had to be brought up. The subfloor even was just was just an awful situation. We had to tear out all kinds of, of walls and and cabinets and flooring and anything that we could salvage, we we did. But there was a lot that we could not salvage. And everything that was wooden, what we did is we took it out to a big old pile out in the front of our yard 
and uh, and we piled it up and it was probably about 20 feet in diameter and about eight or nine feet tall it was just a, the pile just got bigger and bigger and I remember looking at that pile and thinking you know we sure did pull a lot of wood out of that house and we used a lot of muscle to do that and uh, when I say we I mean me and and, and some kids uh, that's the great thing about having eight of them you can all put them to work as child labor and uh, anyway we we got it to work and I looked at that and easily that was three tons of scrap wood in that pile. Now imagine when we first got the keys to that house and I said to the keys uh, to the kids rather okay kids I want you to go into that dirty house and I want us to pick up three tons of wood all right everybody ready lift together one two three hop, and let's move it. There's no way that we even with eight kids could lift three tons of anything. But they could do it, and they eventually did do it by moving three tons of wood one piece at a time. And likewise, God doesn't require us to carry the whole three tons of problems of our lives all at once. He mercifully gives us one board or one cabinet or one wheelbarrow full of what we are to carry today. And then we can carry another load tomorrow and another load after that. And in that way, we can easily manage it if we'd only just take one burden that is appointed for that particular day. But the problem is, is that we choose to increase our troubles by carrying yesterday's load over again and again. And not only piling on today's load, but piling on tomorrow's. And it's too much for us to bear. And we're not required to bear it. And we add baggage from yesterday and the potential burdens of tomorrow, of, and we try to carry it all at the same time today. It's no wonder that we're often overwhelmed and we're discouraged on the battlefield. If you're worried about the future, then determine to live for today. And just trust that God is going to be around tomorrow to help you with whatever may come up between now and then. Don't ruin today with tomorrow's problems. Live each day, one day at a time, and always by faith in the promise of God. Well, once again, it all comes down to faith. And if we're ever going to win this battle over worry, then we're going to have to strengthen our faith in God. We have to strengthen our trust that God will always be here for us, just as He has promised to. And if you have faith, you don't worry. And if you worry, then your faith isn't what it ought to be. I'm not too familiar with this, but there's a fairly new sport that's called extreme skiing, where these skiers will ski down these long, steep hills, but they will do it sometimes through some mountainous terrains that are uh, uh, extremely long, steep slopes, and uh, they have woods, and sometimes as you're skiing through these woods, obviously people can get pretty da uh, dangerously hurt pretty badly and sometimes even fatally uh, killed. And sometimes they will ski rapidly through them and you race and try to beat other people's times. But I want you to listen to what one professional extreme skier said that the key is, and I'm quoting them. What you focus your eyes on become critical in the woods. Look at the spaces between the trees, the exits where you hope to be traveling. Another expert said of the sport, the secret is not to stare at what you don't want to hit. And I think that's pretty good advice. But what they're both saying has to do with focus. 
the extreme skier who focuses on the trees is most likely to hit the trees. But the one who's looking for the spaces between the trees is more likely to miss the obstacles. And I really think that Jesus is saying the same thing here in Matthew chapter 6. We're all extreme skiers who are heading downhill through the woods at a very fast pace. And we have so many things in our life that are just flying by us that threaten our peace. What if this happens? And here comes this tree. What if that happens? And how many of you play the movie in your mind of all the bad things that could possibly happen in the future? There's always something to worry about. As I said, losing your job or aging parents or, or wayward children or illness or, or terrorism. All these trees that are just going by you. And it's easy for us to focus on the trees. But if we focus on these fears, we're more likely to crash. Instead, we need to be focusing on the open spaces, focusing on God, focusing on what He has done for us in the past and what we are confident that He is going to do for us in the future. And we can safely navigate these obstacles. The question is, though, can God be trusted? And until you settle that issue in your mind, worry will control you and it will defeat you in this battle. God has proven over and over that He can be trusted. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the grass of the field. And look at what He did in sending His own Son. In Romans 8, 32 again, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also freely give us all things? So friends, it all comes down to a choice. You can choose to worry, or you can choose to trust in God. But you can't do both. You'll either be despise the one and be devoted to the other, or you will love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have a divided mind. So make the choice today. You've got to make the choice if you're going to follow God every day of your life. And if you've not made that choice, we encourage you to do that, to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Jesus Christ and to be baptized this very evening, deciding to follow Him, that He is going to be your commander-in-chief in this battle of life. But maybe you've been a Christian for some time and you've not been living the way that you ought to. Maybe your issue is worry. You've not trusted the Lord the way that you ought to. Repent of that. And pray to God that He will help you. Seek help of other Christians that we might bear your burdens as well, that we can be praying for you. But if there's some sin of a public nature that you need to confess to this congregation this evening so that we can be praying for you, so that we can forgive you, let that be known also. Whatever your need is, why don't you come forward now as we stand and as we sing. <laughs>